0: Alex Karpowski per- or whatever The Iceman starring Michael Shannon So like uh, chilly Yeah it was Ice to meet you Cause you know he's a he's a hitman who freezes the bodies Oh so, man. man That's cold <laughs> You son of a bitch No chill Oh you son of a bitch look at these fucking guys got, You got fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger And uh, Batman and Robin over
1: here <laughs> Revenge Is a dish best of cold Has come at last.
0: Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, the crew discusses the new Coen Brothers film Hail Caesar, starring Josh Brolin and George Clooney. Say your line exactly as I'm about to.
2: With the tattooer so simple. Would the detour so simple? Would the detour so simple? Would the detour
1: so simple? My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say twer? Well, you say say it like I said it.
2: Yes, ma'am. Would the detour so no, simple? No. Watch, watch my mouth. Would the detour so simple?
1: Would the detour so simple? Keep your head still. Would the detour so simple? I, I'm trying to say that, Mr. Lawrence. Lawrence, hmm? I thought a minute ago it was Lawrence. No, we can use Christian names, my good dear boy. Lawrence is fine.
0: If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Show, and you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, FilmTankShow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diegman. And hello there, everybody, and welcome into episode 50 of Film Tank. Woo! I know, it's exciting, right? I am Alex Diegman, along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hey! Hello. Hello. Hello, indeed. Hello there. And uh, on this episode, we'll be talking about the Coen Brothers' new film, Hail Caesar, uh, starring Josh Brolin, George Clooney, and a cast of other characters. Uh, before we get to Hail Caesar... <laughs> Very good. I know, right? There is there is some punctuation in there. So and there's a lot. Patient. <laughs> um, we want to do a week in review and also uh, catch up with some emails we've gotten over the last couple weeks including a couple people who've sent in uh, top six favorite 2015 films. And uh, Nick has those emails, actually. So why don't you share with the listeners what the listeners have shared with us?
2: Thanks, Alex. I'd love to. So we've got two emails to cover uh, today. Uh, And both of them were uh, two emails concerning the best of 2015. Mm -hmm. So from uh, a friend of the show, Alex but not the one sitting to my left. <laughs> uh, but Alex has uh, time and time again emailed us, and here he has again. And so his email says, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sick today, so if I sound a little off, that's at Is that why. the beginning of his email? Or? Yes, he wanted to let everybody know that he was sick. <laughs> Get better, Alex. Uh, uh, okay. So Alex's email goes, hey there, I unfortunately haven't been able to listen to your best of 2015 episode just yet, but here are my favorite films of 2015. So starting from six... It is Sean the Sheep, uh, number five, Ex Machina, number four, The Big Short, number three, Spotlight, number two, It Follows, Mm -hmm. and number one, a movie, I don't know if you guys saw it, it was called Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. (laughs) And he said his honorable mention would probably be The Hateful Eight, so I approve. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Uh, And here's actually a little bonus, so he says, and because I like hating on things, here are my top six worst films of 2015. Ha-ha. So we got number six, Kingsman, uh-huh. The Secret Service. Number five, Chappie. <laughs> uh, number four, The Green Inferno uh, mm. by which, oh, yeah, what's his Eli name? Eli Roth? Yes, Eli yeah. Roth. Number three, Aloha. <laughs> <laughs> number two, Pixels. Uh-huh. I'm really sorry you had to watch all these. Uh, <laughs> and number one, Entourage, and he puts in parenthesis, this movie can fuck right off.
1: Alex, you are the real MVP. Like, I've seen some pretty shitty films, but I haven't seen nearly all of those. Yeah, really
0: has.
1: (laughs) I really have.
0: I actually saw the Entourage film, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, even though I liked it a little more the second time I watched it, which I don't know why I did that, uh, yeah, (laughs) unfortunately, it was not very good.
2: Yeah, Yeah. so, well, thank you very much, Alex. Yes. No, not you. Uh, Oh, (laughs)
1: Alex, the listener. Uh, That joke will never
2: get old. Probably it will. (laughs) That's mean. So our last and final email. (laughs) Ever? Yep, ever. It's all downhill from here. (laughs) Comes from uh, Mark. And Mark has also emailed us before. So welcome back, Mark. So he says, yo, Film Tank. These are my favorite films from the past year. And you know what? He gives a top 10, and I'm going to read all 10. Good. Good. Go for we it, we appreciate our listeners. Yeah. So starting at 10, he puts Bridge of Spies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine, Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Number eight, Spy, which I got to admit, I, uh, I think I'm the only one who probably saw that. Yeah. And while it was not in my top whatever, that is a good example of good use of Melissa McCarthy
1: comedy. So I approve. It looks like a film that was in the vein of, like, Red. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I
2: can see that, actually. Yeah, Yeah, because it does handle its action very well, i got to admit. Number seven, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Mm -hmm. Number six, The Martian. Number five, It Follows. Mm -hmm. Number four, The Hateful Eight. (laughs) Number three, Creed. Mm -hmm. Number two, Mad Max Fury Road. Number one, drumroll. The Big Short. Okay, sure. and I'm I'm kind of say I'm really down with that choice because uh, I really like The Big Short. Yeah, it's a good film. I thought it really surprised me. So, so there we go. And he actually, I'll, I'll admit this. In his email, he says he's not sure if it was mentioned in another episode, but he was wondering if we were going to do a Big Short episode. And I think at this point, we're we have no plans to do that. No. Um, but we did or at least I think. We talked about it twice on the show as far as once in a week review, but of course now I'm blanking on which episodes they
0: well, were. Well, the week in review episode where you mentioned Debate <laughs> Short.
2: Because um, I know I mentioned it in a week in review of it, and I believe you had also brought it back up when you went and saw it. I want to say you mentioned it in our episode talking about the Hateful Eight, but that. No. That actually sounds about right. Yeah. I saw it January 1st, so it yep. would have been. So right yes, around that time. If you wasn't to the Hateful Eight episode, I. Uh, Where is a brief discussion from me only because I had been the only person who saw it at that point. And I believe like the next episode or the one after that is a time when Alex, I believe brings it back up. I've seen it myself. So also I talked about it on our best of in the second part of the episode of 2015, Mm because I talked about it as my biggest surprise. So I think it it was talked about there too. So
0: yeah, big short. I mean, we can take a a minute again to talk about it. It, It's, it's, I thought a very good film. Um, I guess the thing that I keep mentioning is that I I feel like I've seen these kind of financial films before that go over this sort of thing, Uh, whether it be margin call, even like a film like Too Big to Fail, which was an HBO film, which wasn't necessarily great. But um, I guess I felt like it was a really well done script but at the end of the day it was something that i felt like i had seen a lot of what they were trying to do before uh that being said though still it was a very enjoyable film and i love the uh aspect of it sort of talking to the audience like the audience is actually a character in the film i yeah. en- enjoyed that a lot and i obviously enjoyed um almost every single scene when uh, real people became involved like margot Roby, uh and uh, wasn't the, the girl um, the pop singer Selena, Selena Gomez, Gomez. Yes. yeah she was in there yep. so yeah no it's it's Anthony
2: a, Bourdain was another cameo
0: actually yeah. actually, funny enough liked his the most because I loved his uh, description of the
2: stew and yep.
0: well if people don't like it we just throw it all together and call it something else and it's the
2: same thing <laughs> for sure and I think I personally liked this movie even more than you did yeah. I thought this was one of the best films of last year I just liked a f- few films more than it uh, this is the kind of film that I wish we had done it episode of had we had the foresight to like Go and see it, you know. But we had already scheduled everything, and I didn't think I was even going to see it until I found myself going. January. I thought the
0: trailer too, unfortunately, made it seem very yeah. much. Like I actually nothing new. thought
2: that the trailer was awful. Like, I maybe made me not want to see the movie. <laughs> and what's weird is that I think the movie for the first five minutes was confirming those suspicions as far as like it opens pretty much in the same way that the trailer kind of lays it all out. Uh, but the more you get used to the rhythms of the movie, the more it all makes sense. And I was, I'm just, I'm a huge fan that movie to be honest and uh, i can't wait to watch it again so so yeah we have no immediate plans to but maybe you know if we're still doing film tank and you know four or five years maybe we want to revisit the housing crisis could be <laughs> so so four or five years okay and then we'll get to it oh god whoa tucson Sorry. what are you saying
1: nothing no it's just it's just oh. it's just funny okay yeah
2: well, I guess the prediction been... for 2017 will have one less person here. No, I'm, I'm <laughs>
1: just saying it's, like, it's going to take that
0: long. This guy wants to listen to an episode of us doing I I it. I know. Well, in our defense, we have
2: talked about it multiple times. I was going to say, it's like if episodes. we had never mentioned it, then mm-hmm. maybe it would actually, because I quite like that film. But, yeah. Uh, Fortunately, no no plans for that.
1: And I still have yet to see it, and I need to.
2: But we fully support your choice for number one, because I thought it was fantastic. Hmm.
1: It was a good film, for sure. All right. All right, well, let's
0: move on and talk about uh, the week that was, uh, (laughs) which is the the first week of February 2016. I know uh, we all saw... Uh, a variety of uh, media and films, and Toussaint, why don't you start us off? As okay, uh, you have some some interesting choices usually that you you like to view. So let's yeah. let's hear about them.
1: Okay, sounds good. I've only in the past week, I think I've only watched like two films, and they are films that I've always wanted to like sit down and like sit down for. Right, um, the first one is a animated uh, 2000 film by Mamoru Aoshi, uh, the same guy who directed uh, Ghost in the Shell and it's called Blood the Last Vampire and it is incredible. It's a very lean film. It's like 40-50 minutes. It's it's very, very clear cut and it basically takes place in 1966 um, at this uh, real life base in Japan called the Yokota Air Base, like right on the eve of Vietnam and it basically follows this this vampire hunter named Seiya who, like, goes around, like, hi- like killing these uh, chimera vampire hybrids and stuff like that. And it's really awesome that it has kind of, like, this—it starts off her, like, in the midst of a mission and then getting assigned a mission. Then she goes to the airbase and it basically follows her, like, as a detective, like, finding out what's going on at this base— and then it culminates with, like, this huge fight scene that basically tears apart the entire place. And this one woman who's, like, a nurse, like, a school nurse, like, is sort of the the proxy by which we see this story. And she's being debriefed at the end and, like, you know— She's still wondering, did any of this really happen? I was like, is is this real at all? It's like, and I thought it was awesome just because the the fight choreography is awesome. I think that it has the distinctive Oshi like dark silhouettes and like color palettes and stuff. It's got really great action, like like interesting like tracking shots almost from behind, like Say when she's like like fighting the the vampires and stuff like that. And you
2: said this was from
1: what year? Two thousand. So this is after Ghost of Michelle. This is yeah. it, this is probably his. Um, his immediate film right after Ghost in the Shell because it was like a student project that he helped to uh, helm and Ooh. and get published. Yeah, so it was really good. I, uh, I would Where def- did you view this? You, was it on I, Netflix? I, um, borrowed okay. I borrowed a copy. I borrowed a Blu-ray copy from a friend. Just curious. Yeah, so I'll probably buy a, a copy of myself and we can watch it sometime.
2: Yeah. Hey, yeah. All
1: right. Hear that,
2: listeners? I get to watch it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my second film, uh, my second film that I watched uh was recently released online, and it is a uh, funnier dies uh, Donald <laughs> Trump, uh, the 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 perfect deal movie starring Johnny Depp in the role of of Donald Trump. It's wow. it's so terrific. Like it's a fifty minute film. It's a fucking fifty minute film. It opens with Ron Howard like recollecting the uh, the the fictitious backstory of this film as it was made when. When downtrode was at his height, and how like Ron Howard had to fight off a woman at a at a garage sale for the VHS tape, and she was like, she looked a lot stronger than she did, and like I, I feel pretty bad about it, but alas, it is mine, <laughs> and he shows it to you, and like it's got cameos from like people as far as like Patton Oswalt, it's it's incredible, it's it's like wow, if if you. Uh, if you skew towards a criticism of uh, of presidential candidate Donald Trump, then you're this is yours. So who
0: plays Donald Trump
1: in this? Johnny Depp. It's uh, wow, I, yes. and I'm, and I'm, I'm honestly guy. and I'm honestly telling you that like this might be like one of the best roles I've seen him in in recent memory. Best role since Nightmare on
2: Elm Street.
1: At least, <laughs> yeah. At least it's putting his
2: push-on for wigs and exotic characters to exactly. use.
1: Like he he does a really a really good impression of of Donald Trump. And it's I thought just, it was hilarious. It's
0: just him doing Jack Sparrow with a different... <laughs> no. uh, 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 this is the art of the deal. Uh, Why is uh, the uh, rum all uh, gone? Uh, I
1: don't...
2: I think... What this showed is that we need to have a, a episode <laughs> devoted exclusively where we only do Jacks. We only talk like Jacks. Do we
1: really get drunk no. though, and just like we search- could? Okay, we used to you show up that? and everything's <laughs> going to pot. Ugh. Okay, oh god. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are the two that I saw, and I both uh, recommend them highly. Cool.
0: Alrighty. Right on. Well, I will take the baton from Tucson and uh, go to my two films I'd like to mention. Go for it. The first being uh, a film that I've been. Uh, been looking at in my netflix queue for about the last year now and finally one night just decided to go with and that was uh the ice man starring michael shannon so uh, chilly yeah it was ice to meet you because you know he's a he's a hitman who freezes the bodies oh so, yeah. man mm-hmm. um this was that's cold <laughs> you son of a bitch
1: no chill <laughs>
0: oh you son of a bitch look at his fucking guys we got, we got fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Batman and Robin over here. <laughs> the second Batman. and Robin. Oh, no, we talked about that off the episode. Anyway,
2: I'm sorry. That was not cool of us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you son of a bitch.
2: <laughs> so in The Iceman,
0: starring Michael Shannon, um, it's, it's just a film that is just another gangster film in the same cla- um torn from the same cloth as Black Mass. Uh, very much trying to be self-important and tell this same old gangster story that we've heard over and over again and really doing nothing new. But this time it's real, Alex. yeah. Um, it wasn't (laughs) and I I have to say that I would have given this a lower rating if I didn't love gangster films and if I didn't love Michael Shannon
2: yeah I was gonna say that's like a match made in heaven it
0: was and uh, it still only got three out of five stars because the film just overall is nothing special there are some really great scenes uh, there are some good characters, including uh, another hitman that drives around in an ice cream truck and looks like a homeless person, played by Chris Evans. Um, and James Franco randomly shows up for one scene and is immediately killed off. It's a very... Hold up. Chris Evans? Yes. Chris Evans. Captain America.
1: Are you fucking
2: kidding me? Yeah. He's
1: just, wow. He's this great actor.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's not a card-carrying communist. Oh. oh, what did I do there?
1: Did we'll you find out? Don't say that three times in the mirror or Joseph Breen will like come out and like blacklist you
0: <sighs> so yeah, the iceman though un- unfortunately uh Michael Shannon did not bring the role home as much as he should have uh for a character who's supposed to have this be you know, this crazy deranged hitman uh Michael Shannon did not bring everything to the table that Man. he could have.
1: he should have uh brought out the. The General Zod from Man of Steel.
0: I will find you! I was
1: expecting
0: Nelson Van Alden from Boardwalk Empire, and I got a very tamed version of that, but not really. And then he had this weird reverse horseshoe mustache uh, in the third act, and I don't know. So it was okay. It wasn't bad. Um, It's only an hour and 40 minutes. So someone like myself who does not like gangster movies or Michael Shannon. Don't do it. Okay, that won't. Just stay away. Uh, it's not for you, uh, and it's actually probably not really for anybody, uh, <laughs> but uh, if you like gangster films, you'll at least somewhat enjoy it, as I yeah. put this right in the same ballpark in terms of my rating as Black Mass and I'm legend. curious,
2: which one of those did you like more, Black Mass or The Iceman? Black Mass. Oh, mm-hmm. and wow. Yeah. Well, so- oh, I know, I'm just surprised because <laughs> oh. one has Michael Shannon and Black yeah. Mass does not, so I was yeah. surprised. He, uh, anyway. Again,
0: as I mentioned, this is one of his... Um, one of my least favorite roles he's okay. been in at least recently. Yeah. Uh, the other film I want to talk about is a film that's already been mentioned on this podcast before, What? which is the animated short "World of Tomorrow" by oh. Don Hertzfeld. Yes, and this is my first introduction, so it's my it's my my introduction <laughs> yeah. to. Just wait till your second introduction. Wait until you watch "You
1: Rejected"
0: to Don Hertzfeld, and I have to say, uh, even though I didn't like give this a five out of five or anything like that, I very much enjoyed what this was doing because I feel like. This is such a bizarre experience to watch this short film as it is so bleak and blunt mm-hmm. um and at the same time so enjoyable somehow I it just had so many emotions in a small little 16 minute package and I just have to say uh I really enjoyed it my wife who had no interest in watching this she, was baking uh, she was, was she was baking oatmeal bake a uh, breakfast oatmeal bake in the kitchen at the start of this, and by minute eight, she was on the couch watching it with me. So look at that! I, the power of Hertzfeld.
1: <laughs> did you uh, Did you like the humor?
0: I did. I thought this was a very <laughs> fun, funny film, uh, and I also thought there was a lot of very dark humor in it as well, which My... uh, was was very enjoyable. Especially um, the the part about uh, the the uh, things she falls in love with, whether it be the Rock or or the Alien, mm-hmm. and I I have to say, like that is one of the like most like one of the saddest scenes i can remember recently where she just like just coldly decides to leave the planet and leave the alien behind and then they cut back like 20 seconds later and he's still just like standing there waving his arms and i'm like oh my god she's left him yeah and it it just goes through all these different emotions but it does it in such a concise way that it it it's almost like you didn't watch it. Like you, have, like you, you remember what happened, but you don't, re- you don't recall this way, just, but, but it, but it comes back to you really yeah. easily. You're it's, just uh,
1: like yeah. the girl in the actual like film itself because she doesn't remember it intensely because she had those. It's, it's part of the ending or whatever,
2: but it's, it, you it, see it, it in in the, w- in the way that a sp- four-year-old child very much would which are just like this kinetic movement from scene to scene in a way that makes it hard to recall all at once yeah
0: and it's 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 just put together so well it's that's so a perfect nice way
1: of it. describing like most of my experiences well, watching you. watching film as a as a as a young child like that's mm-hmm. perfect yeah well i try don't don't do that. No, but don't don't stroke his ego. I'm, I thought it was a great it, He's, he's got to okay. stroke
2: something. <laughs>
1: Shut the fuck up. Anyway, my favorite comedic scene from World of Tomorrow like happened early on when the future person was talking to the little girl. Yes. He's like, "You have a message from your grandfather." And he says, "Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. What the hell? What the hell is going on?" <laughs>
0: But I I love this idea that she is a future clone of a (laughs) talking to the child of the person. And I think it's um, very awesome that at the end of it, she the memory she's extracting from her, which is the whole point of her visit is just very, uh, it's so personal, personal. And yet at the same time, one of those memories that people would probably describe as almost meaningless is something that just happens every day and whatever. And this Mm. is the whole purpose of her time travel trip through this and I have to say too, um, I, I know it, I kind of caught on that I wasn't going to. But by the way the film progressed up until this point, I would not have been as shocked as I w- would have thought I would have been if this had happened. But when um, little Emily gets time traveled back to her original place and goes to a place that isn't there, I was like, oh my god, are they just gonna? That's just gonna where this is gonna end, and, and it doesn't. But. All those little things get paid off throughout the film. And I have to say, too, the one part of the film that I was just fascinated by was the idea of the uh, brainless human that grows up in the museum. Oh. And people just come and stand and watch him grow and old, get old and die through time. And it just the idea of watching this person grow up in, in a, a human almost being a work of art and the 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 comparison between things and people and oh man there's just so much here in such yeah. a tight little 16 minute package and i would say it's on netflix and it's 16 minutes long just like um on the ho- on the holiday episode when you talk to people about watching the that uh, christmas episode of twilight zone like yeah. dedicate time to it because it is it's not going to take up a lot of time but it's going to be very enjoyable and actually make you think about things in a 16-minute animated short. So. It
1: will entertain you for hours long after <laughs> you... Like, I don't mean to sound like a Hasbro fucking commercial, but like it will entertain <laughs> you hours after you've actually watched the film.
2: Or if you hate it, you you, you wasted 15 minutes. Yeah, right. you have nothing it. to lose. So, yeah. So. No, for sure. I'll be curious because we are going to do a uh, uh, the Bill Trilogy at one point, which mm-hmm. is, uh, I guess, technically the real name is uh, It's Such a Beautiful Day. Yeah. Um, we're going to do an episode on that, oh, yeah. uh, probably after my Blu-ray arrives, uh, some point after that. Probably after I get it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, be- just because I want to see it remastered. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I'll be curious to know what you think when you watch another project of his, because I think It's Such a Beautiful Day is the closest thing to World of Tomorrow that he's ever done, even though it's an, like an 80-minute feature uh, instead of, although it's really three 20-minute short stories that kind of string together Mm -hmm. so it's just like watching three world of tomorrow in Mm -hmm. chapters um but i'll be curious to know maybe after this episode i I want you to sit down and watch one of his random shorts you know that two minute whatever and just know if if it still works for you when it's just irreverent humor and if there's nothing profound about it watch rejected
1: or the animation show like that
2: wisdom tooth billy's balloon Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) any of those like where it's just it's, it's it's like existentialist Looney Tunes uh, you know like it's just weird you shit you ever seen
1: the, uh, the Pop Tart commercials where they have like the little like caricatures or something like that maybe yeah. they, they basically ripped off Hertzfeld <laughs> it's true
2: my spoon is too, <laughs> too big my spoon <laughs> anyway. is too big. well anyways
0: I, I really liked it and I'm, I'm glad I took the time to watch it and if you haven't seen it I think uh, you should take the time because it is a great little piece of animated
1: art splendor
0: Moving on okay. to Nick and his
2: week in review. Okay, so I only want to talk about 10 movies. No. Jesus. <laughs> you
1: got an episode, buddy. I know.
2: I'm looking to see what I want to talk about. Okay. I think I, think I got it narrowed down. Someone just has little to no
0: preparation for these.
2: No, it's just I watch <laughs> so much shit, and I know that, like... You know, if I talk about all of them, um, you know, like, my genius will kind of deplete by the end of it. So we're only going to talk about a few of them. Uh, Kanye. so I finally, no, don't compare me to Kanye, because he just said Bill Cosby was innocent last night. <laughs> I know. And I won't go that far. Anyway. uh, So, one thing I want to talk about is Bridge of Spies, because I finally watched that now. And Mm -hmm. I'm very upset that I didn't watch it last year, because it wouldn't have made my top 10, but it is just outside of it. I absolutely loved it, and that's a perfect example of what Spielberg and Tom Hanks does best, which is like just wonderfully, I don't know, just doing what they do so well. There's nothing crazy about the movie that like it but when when a movie is made as well as bridge of spy is made it doesn't matter that it doesn't do anything new it it, it just works and it works well
0: yeah uh it's very close on both of our lists because i think <laughs> your list is 16 yeah. it's 16 or 17 and it's 16 or 17 on my list yeah it was a film that i i really enjoyed when i saw it i i not a complaint about it, but it, it brought nothing new to the table for either Spielberg or Hanks, but it was just good. Like, yeah. just a good film, and a, it was an interesting story, and it kept a good pace throughout.
2: And I'd watch it again. I'm probably going to buy it's the Blu ray. nearly two and a half uh, hours long, and it's one of the quickest movies I've ever watched because uh, it hmm. just breathes by for me. And not only that, but it's also a fantastic it, it should be, I wouldn't say taught in script writing courses, but as far as just like, Basic examples of how to write a script. Uh, there's not a single scene wasted. Every scene somehow comes back into the fold by the end. Uh, whether it's his, you know, original meeting with a lawyer when he does the two 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 speech. Like just because this happens doesn't mean that three things happen only one thing happened to you know whatever and uh, which comes back later on and, you know just little thing like that where you think that it's character details but really it's actually plot or not plot like script details. Like all of this is just just a perfectly i would say knitted tapestry and hmm. we all know keeps why keeps you warm
0: we all know why nick really liked it and that's because alan alda makes an appearance in the film <laughs> that is true although that was
2: <laughs> that was be my complaint is that there was not enough alan alda oh, he's quite but old it's uh he is but <laughs> look at the work actually that's another thing i watched and i'm going to talk about it right now okay. uh, uh right now louis ck has released horse and pete a new web series but he has released it on his website like he is uh, you have to pay for it uh but you're not paying for like a five minute episode the first episode was five dollars uh and it's over an hour long uh and he is doing a throwback back to the playhouse 90 dramas or the uh, studio one where uh back in the 50s uh and this just tingles me because I love this. I love TV, but specifically back in the what we consider the golden age of television, mm-hmm. um, we used to do uh, live theater productions uh, on TV, mm-hmm. and everybody would tune in. And what you were watching was not just. obviously, it's kind of coming back around now. And filmed how we in have, front of a
0: live studio audience. <laughs> so what are you talking about like with um, the Wiz and that? Yeah, kind of like thing?
2: NBC is trying to, but they're only doing musicals instead of just like actual, just you know, theater. Um, but like we've seen countless of things. Like Twelve Angry Men production, you know whatnot from the fifties, sixties, whatever. Um, one of my favorite things ever is uh, Marty, uh, which was a Playhouse Ninety drama that got made into a movie, which won Best Picture. So, you know, this was a source of quality. So,
0: I, I hate to be this guy, but how is this going to relate to Alan Alda?
2: Okay, so. <laughs> Well, as I was talking about Louis C.K.'s new show... I told show, you that
1: story to tell you this story.
2: No, 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 but as I... Well, I'm describing Horace and Pete. Okay. So Louis C.K. has mm-hmm. created a show that harkens back to this era because it is a filmed uh, live production. Now, not live in the sense that when you watch it, it's live because you're downloading it or streaming it, but that there were barely any cuts. It's live theater. People walk in on the set. It's just one set. It's a, it's Got like it. a bar that they own and whatnot. And... um, it just concerns, uh, the characters of Horace and Pete played by Louise CK and Steve Buscemi. Um, and it's very minimalist in the sense that there's not a big plot. It's kind of like whatever the characters that enter the bar and, you know, leave the bar, Um, but it, it's very hard to describe, but it is so fucking good uh, the acting is top notch. Great turns by a lot of wonderful people, including Edie Falco, Rebecca Hall, Alan Alda, um, oh, Jessica Lange. There uh, you go. Yes. <laughs> and Alan Alda plays the, uh, very, very, uh, unpolitically correct and surly uh, bartender who is the the uh, one of many Pete's in the family he's mm-hmm. like the uncle Pete and Steve Buscemi is that's his nephew Pete and uh, he says the most darndest things and <laughs> very <laughs> very bad thing but are, he's also are we talking
1: about uh, what, what's his name the, the name of the really racist like daytime like sitcom guy um, who <laughs> Derek Cartman is made like those were, those were the days Archie Bunker Archie Bunker yeah
2: daytime no he says much worse things than Archie Bunker Jesus because Archie Bunker was an idiot Aladona's character is not an idiot actually and every time somebody presses him on why he said this or whatever he comes back with I wouldn't say a response I agree with mm-hmm. but he articulates it well enough where he'll shut up everybody in the scene or whatever but anyway yeah it, it's um, there's gonna be an episode every week for maybe eight weeks maybe ten weeks we don't really know what he's doing but he's leading the charge on this very for me fascinating new model of television. Uh and he's doing it in a in a way that he gets to make the T V he wants to make too, because I can't imagine another network would have greenlighted this.
0: Now is this strictly a pay per view thing or do you purchase it and you then download it to your computer or something you like that. You
2: download it or stream it, but it's okay. yours, and it's DRM-free, okay. so I could give Tucson it. a copy for free, I mean. Oh, okay. Um, but I had to pay for it. And, so it's um, more like purchasing a, a video or something yeah, like that. like okay. when you buy it of iTunes, I mean, you can't because you have to
1: do it through his website, mm-hmm. but
2: same thing, is same principle, where you buy it and it's yours, mm-hmm. and you know, you've got it for life. And
1: now, you, you uh, maybe you mentioned this before, I I, I apologize, but do you pay you pay episode by episode, or can you pay for an entire season ahead of you time? You can't
2: do that ahead of time because I don't think even he knows how All many right. he's going to make. Like He's kind of just doing off the seat of his pants, and you can tell because what they talk about is what's happening. Some, like some of their bar conversations in between the, some of the actual, I would say, story beats uh, are very, very much—I mean, now I know— you know, he would have known about things like Trump or whatever. But like, for example, the third episode is coming out. I can't imagine that nobody's going to mention that Trump won New Hampshire or something so like that. So it's kind of like how South
0: Park has their episodes. now. Exactly, and okay. he's
2: still doing it, and you know, he's still writing them right now. So he's just kind of charging episode by episode. The first episode was five bucks, but um, the second episode was two dollars, and he says every episode from that point on will be three dollars and he made the second one two dollars because some people were complaining that it was so much money which he said was like he can understand why but he's also like i'm not forcing anybody to buy this and which i kind of agree with and but also that it's it's actual like there's a production happening here it's not just people getting in front of a camera there's got to be a costume department there has to be lighting rigs well and and there's
0: no middleman that's paying for Flipping the bill, right, right?
2: Right. So, yes, it's all coming out of his pocket, so he has to somehow actually be able to pay everybody and whatnot. And, and from the very first episode, it's it's completely worth it. It's just so many great performances and just so fascinating that somebody is finally going back to drama uh, in a way that we used to love as a country. We, for some reason, don't anymore. Cool. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about, sorry, is uh, I watched a movie uh, from 1997. Uh, it's a little known movie called Titanic. (laughs) It was directed by Mr. James, uh, Cameron. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Blue, blue horse people, man. Yes, that. Um, so I had never watched Titanic from start to finish Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen a lot of scenes. I've seen... Kate Winslet's uh, breasts and I've seen <laughs> the ship sn- snapping in half and a lot of the iconic scene, but I never actually sat down and watched three hours and 15 minutes uh, start to finish, whatnot. Um, and I gotta say, I am of two minds of this movie and, and, and unfortunately part of my reaction is colored by the fact that one of my all-time favorite movies is about the Titanic and it's called The Night to Remember uh, by Roy Ward Baker back in the 50s um and now after watching titanic i'm a little skeptical of where james cameron got some of his script ideas because there there's something to be said about that it's a true life event so of course there's going to be similarities but then there's something to be said about actual scenes having pretty much the same dialogue and the same story beats and
1: uh like the the, the but the, nick like he wrote the script for titanic well before titanic even happened that's true <laughs>
2: um And all I can say. Steven Seagal? (laughs) All I can say in regards to Titanic, the James Cameron film, is that it's clear that his one sole contribution to the Titanic subgenre movies, because there have been movies about Titanic like every decade, uh, his sole contribution is Jack and Rose. Like that is his thing. They did not exist whatsoever. Um, Well. What mm. the, J- I, I, the Jack and Rose I, I, that we know
1: of?
0: I, I, are we talking just on a script level or a film level? Neither
2: level, like they did not exist. At the- no,
0: I, I'm saying you're, his sole contribution. You mean to the like the, the story? Yeah. yeah. Okay. gotcha. Yeah, so sorry. Cool. No, no, I'm
2: talking the story of Titanic. Okay. The only thing here that is his real contribution, I think, to the Titanic genre of storytelling, is the Jack and Rose. Like everything else every other Titanic movie has done it not just the one I love but even others you know there's been movies about the unsinkable Molly Brown and other facets of the Titanic story and folklore Uh, and because that's his one contribution uh, on a script level that's also for me the weakest part of this movie Um, and it It kind of hurts me to say that because I love melodrama like I I generally do. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time is All That Heaven Allows starring Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman. And there's so many scenes in that movie of like people not being able to look at each other when they talk because they're so emotional whatever. So like I'm all for melodrama and Downton Abbey, you name it, whatever. Uh, but, A, I do not think that Leonardo DiCaprio is a very good actor at this point. Um, and still I, really isn't. But... <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of agree with that, too. I think he's gotten yeah. better, but he's
0: yeah. still whatever. I, I I feel like I like Leo because, for some reason, he just seems to be very comfortable just playing himself, playing a character. And, yeah. No, hmm. I think
2: he's having fun. Yeah. Um, while everybody's dying, and I think um, <laughs> I think he's he's fine. Like I'm not cringing or anything like that. But like when you look at the two of them, like I feel like Kate Winslet as an actress came fully born as far as like she's a good performer for me, uh, and him not so much. And um, It's funny
0: because this is the one film for her that she says that she wish she would have never made because she
2: cringes every time she watches it. I'm not saying I don't think she's grown as an actress Mm -hmm. or that she hasn't gotten better or she hasn't done much better roles because I didn't really care for her either in this movie. (laughs) But uh, I thought she was convincing enough and inhabited the atmosphere of melodrama well enough that I was on board for her performance. Um, Okay, so the first hour of this movie... I was just ready to turn it off and that kind of speaks to how I almost didn't finish Titanic uh, because I was cringing and this is another James Cameron thing I want to say is that he could not stop writing the script uh, as somebody who was alive in 1997 because there were way too many and I know like any of the unsinkable mentions like that makes sense because people did say that back then you know it's like oh it's unsinkable and all that kind of stuff but then there were there are times when he took it way too far like when characters make uh, have conversations about oh somebody doesn't know who freud is and oh somebody doesn't think picasso will amount to anything and all this like ha 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 if only they knew if only they knew so um thank you for that uh so <laughs>
1: no problem buddy he, yeah uh
2: so uh, there's so many of those kind of conversations that i just like no stop it so the second, I would say, half is certainly better than the first half because people shut up more frequently. Uh, but there, there, there are two main problems for me for this movie, and then I'll get on to really quick praise, and then I'll shut up. But the two main problems is that, A, a lot of the things that I liked about this movie— I have already seen in A Night to Remember. Like I kind of just mentioned, there's like the the, the story beats with the uh, the, the musicians uh, as they continue mm-hmm. to play as the ship goes down. I'm like, you know, I really like this. And I'm like, but I feel like I've seen this before because I haven't actually watched A Night to Remember in a couple of years now. So I couldn't remember if I just, whatever. And I actually checked back and I'm like, oh, not only did it happen in that movie, but it happened in the exact same way. And they had the exact same conversation and they had the exact same blocking as they walked away and walked Holy back. Holy shit, dude. So it's like, yeah, yeah, a little things like that where I'm like every moment in this movie that I like I'm like I already have in other titanic folklore and whatnot. not uh, and then the other thing is um, I think this might be I wouldn't say offensive because I actually don't find the movie offensive I think it does handle the story and the horror of what happened delicately so I won't call it offensive but I, I think it's misguided at worst uh, the story of Jack and Rose amidst all this uh uh terror because and it, the real cl- the, the real clinching of that for me is the final scene when rose the old rose is on the the deck doing it's been
1: 85 years
2: that's actually in the
1: beginning yes. of the yes. film gear shit together Damn. Damn. okay wow. <laughs> well <laughs> gotta snuff that shit out right? yeah. so gotta weed out weakness on film tank
2: that's right so, when Rose is on the deck doing her I'm the Queen oh, of the World. Of the Kelvish. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yes, of that, not of Titanic. Uh, yep. But when she does that, throws a thing in the water. And the camera follows that. Then it goes into the Titanic, right? And the Titanic turns slowly into Mm -hmm. the Titanic we know before it crashed and all that. And and the camera goes into the room where you see all the passengers that I believe died on the Titanic, right? Mm -hmm. So that's actually, like, I'm watching that. I'm like, you know what? And I was ready to, like, turn the corner because I'm like, this is actually at least giving them the final word as far as, like, this is what the Titanic is about. It's about the... The humanity that was on that ship, uh, but Well, No, no. But hold on. <laughs> but uh, and then the camera continues and it goes up and you see Jack and Jack turns around and it's almost a recreation of the scene that actually happened when he, you know, when she notices him up on the staircase and yes, he uh, holds out his hand and whatnot. So and I'm actually still okay for that because I can understand somebody's love amidst all the whatever. But then she goes up the stairs and they start making out and then all the dead passengers start clapping. And that was, I won't say it's offensive, but it's almost like we're so happy we're in heaven right now because that allowed you guys to meet. Like, I don't know. There was just something so stupid about that entire moment. The focus shifted from. It's funny because uh,
0: you actually should see the original ending to the film. Why was the original? Please tell me. Well, the the original ending, which uh, is on uh, the version of the Blu-ray that we own, which uh, came out. I don't know like six or seven years ago on one of the DVD versions and it shows it is she's about to drop the uh, necklace into the water and Bill Paxson and all the other people come running out being like oh my god no don't throw it away and she decides to give it to them oh huh. that's the end of the film.
2: Well, I wouldn't mind that, actually, over <laughs> over what we Damn. got, because I thought our, if the final image is a bunch of dead passengers on a real-life tragedy cheering on two stupid young birds... Uh, that aren't real. Yeah, exactly, that are fictional, mm-hmm. too. Uh, then I feel like now we've are not respecting, in my opinion. I wouldn't say it offensive, but not respecting what was lost that day. And um, and I feel like that's where James Cameron's script, uh, unfortunately, like, I, I kind of admire the audacity to try to set a melodrama uh, uh, amongst one of the greatest kind of tragedies. tragedies. Uh, but the idea was that human lives were lost, and not just human lives, but, you know, so many different kinds of people and all different classes. I mean, it's such a classic tale of, like, how a microcosm of, of at least a part of the world was on that uh, on that boat. And uh, for them to bend over backwards to kiss two young white people's asses was just... Uh,
1: that
2: aren't real. Yeah, that aren't real. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if,
0: if really, not that any of the other <laughs> examples...
2: like this is more important than that. Well,
0: it, not that any of the other examples are good examples either. But if you look at a lot of films that are based around fact-based tragedies... That involve fictional characters, this sort of is the exact same route that most of them go. Oh, it is, but I would say
2: none of them end with then, like, the. People who died at Pearl Harbor going, yeah, Josh Hartnett, you kissed Liv Tyler. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, that was Pearl Harbor. Uh, First of all, Liv Tyler isn't in Pearl Harbor. Wait, who is it then?
0: And Josh Hartnett is the one who dies at the well, end. Cares, so it's Ben. Wait, who's, who's the uh, woman? Let's see, I believe it's Ben Affleck and Kate Beckinsale are the ones that is are left in the Is it Kate Beckinsale? End. Yep.
2: Is Liv Tyler in it? No. Okay, so I, I have no idea. I
0: haven't seen that Liv since Tyler's in an Armageddon,
2: out. another Michael Bay
0: film. Uh, but not oh, that, that one. But that was anyway. the film that when you were describing that, what I was thinking of is that two white people who are not actually from this time period who right. have become more important than the actual story we're
2: but telling. There could be merit to wanting to do a fictional character because you don't want to step on like representation, you know, whatever. But when you, I just think when you get so far up your own ass that you create a narrative that uh, where this real life tragedy, I would say conforms to that fictional narrative, Mm. that's when we get a little dicey territory. And like I said, I don't find it offensive. I just find it like, that's the final straw of, like, James Cameron is way more thinking about himself and he is, I guess, as far as trying to depict the tragedy. And that's fine, but that's not a movie I'm interested in.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, (laughs) uh, if we look at James Cameron's history, I feel like uh, if you look at most of his films, they end in some sort of bizarre, sappy fashion. Yeah. Uh, the end of Judgment Day has Arnold lowering into the magma with the thumbs up
2: yeah. and all that shit. Well, I mean, and that's... The end of Avatar... It's not sappiness that I object to. It's like, you know, she could have a same dream sequence where she just meets him and nobody else found on the Titanic. And mm. that was their moment or something like that. But to have the dead passengers clap them on, it's just a little... Well,
0: they were happy that uh, Jack has reunited with the... Girl, he loved or whatever. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Cause they would prefer that than to be living. Oh. Well, just, you uh, know, it's been it had <laughs> been
0: eighty nine years. Maybe they had finally, you know, gotten over that being in heaven or wherever they are. Well, now we're getting
2: into a live religious semantics. Well, whatever. Um, it,
1: <laughs> Is this what happened on the leftovers? <laughs> they it, went where the Titanic people went.
0: It's a you know Titanic <laughs> for me um, was one of the the weird um, film experiences of my I wouldn't say youth because I was. Guess like ten years old or nine years old when it came out, but I remember being so interested in the Titanic, yeah. and I felt like this film, even though there were a lot of fictionalized moments in it, but it's
2: not that it's fictionalized. I don't,
0: but but care like the, about their
2: that. their story is Jack and Rose's yeah.
0: story is it definitely work of fiction. A mm-hmm. lot of right, right, right. Uh, the events surrounding, I'm just it... I'm
2: saying that's not a bad thing,
0: right? But um, I just remember loving so many things about film in the way that it showed the start from where they began and then where they ended up in the ocean hitting the iceberg and then what? all the events that from that moment that lead to the eventual sinking and the, the bodies all yeah. you know, kind of just struggling in the middle of the water and then everyone's dead uh-huh. and then... Uh, the scene of the, for some reason, the guy from the original Fantastic Four movies who's in the lifeboat and they're hitting all the bodies with the oars, because the paddles, there's just yeah. way too many. Yeah. Way too many. Like, oh, there's the just... a
1: villain you're talking about.
0: No, he's one of the Fantastic no, no, no. Four. What's his name? Lone Grunfeld? Grufford? Uh, Lone? Whatever. Whatever or, his name is. Some yeah. British guy. Okay. But. There's just so many great parts to Titanic that I have a hard time ever not enjoying it when I watch it. It's a long film. It has one of the greatest bad, snidely whiplash characters ever in Kelton Hockley, who is a... Billy Zane, right? Yes. Yeah. Who's, who's not a great character at all, but I think that's part of what makes
2: him such a great melodramatic villain is because he is so ridiculous. Going back and forth, and I, I, I feel like I... I I ended up hating his character and not because like of why you should hate him like he's such a bad person but uh there was one moment when the movie just took it too far like there's melodrama and then there's like unnecessary drama and for me like that whole entire i think character for as far as for me redeeming him or liking him I would have been on board for everything all of his actions if when he first spies the initial lifeboat he can get on he just decides to get on like he's just like fuck this and he became it's very selfish or whatever. But because he like basically risks his life to shoot guns at Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, and both of them, really, because like, he's just not really even aiming, and we have to go into slow motion James Cameron as he walks down the whatever. like That's when I realized that James Cameron really isn't interested in depicting the Titanic tragedy. Uh, he's way more interested in the mm-hmm. melodrama, which is totally fine, but not something...
0: If you <laughs> go
2: along the
0: lines of the sort of token that the characters follow in the reasoning behind the entire film, which is the necklace. Um, Really that scene with him chasing them, really the whole point of that scene was though Rose could get the coat that has the diamond in it that eventually the people are looking for, which leads them to her. It's
2: it's a plot device. I forget about that because I also could have done without that structure, too.
0: That's fine. It's a 20-minute intro we don't need. uh, It is. But you have something that brings all of this together, which in in another way you would have had to have written the film differently.
2: I love the idea of that uh, British butler's not butler but the ballet uh who's gonna lock leonardo dicaprio up and just sit there with a gun as the ship is sinking i mean i get that that was still the early part of the night where not everybody was truly you know grasping the tragedy of what's mm-hmm. going to happen but it's just kind of i it's just hilarious that like he's just sitting there and he's like yeah i'm just uh, this is how i want to be spending my time right now
0: I feel like James Cameron is is in when it comes to script and structure, I mean yeah. th- those are not the best parts of his films. The the, yeah. the best parts of his films <laughs> are what you are seeing on the screen and the moments that are happening yeah. throughout a film and The meticulous editing and attention to detail that he gives to his projects, which are, I mean, if you watch Avatar, like Avatar is just a beautiful film that is very visually pleasing. And then you get to some of the story and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, why are they tying their tails together? I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) That's how they have sex. Yeah, whatever. But uh, there are so many parts to Avatar and Judgment Day Mm -hmm. and aliens, whatever, that are just like marvelous in terms of watching films. So... Yeah, he's
2: yeah. he's a great filmmaker, but he's better at certain parts of yeah. it than others. And I'll say two more things before we move on completely, mm-hmm. which is that, A, the only other criticism I have is that I thought that it's kind of sneaky undercurrent of, like, British people are assholes was not the greatest message, and I feel like he was not very self-conscious on how offensive it is that, like, this one American knows better than all of the other uh, British people. Uh, there's just something weird about that class entitlement that no story of a Titanic has ever really latched on to. Uh, two... Actually, I should say three things, because two... Also, fact versus fission, fiction, because I don't know if we're ever going to talk about this movie ever, so... Uh, I don't know if fact versus fission, fiction... Uh, I don't know how I feel about the idea that all the crew members are either shown to be inept, cowardly, like, they're not good people, like... Every single crew member here is either bad at their job, which I get that's part of part of the story or whatever uh cowardly uh panicking like there's none of them are shown to be really even Murdoch really now which one is Murdoch Murdoch I mean, is the one who commits suicide um I guess, but that was <laughs> another thing that well, well well he
0: he murders somebody right uh, before that, so right, so that's uh, not a good thing did he kill somebody yeah. no well, wait, who does but he... okay, there's a captain who went down on the ship. Well, he's yeah, that, was that whole storyline is kind of weird Anyway, just like walks <laughs> <but laughs> in that room. No, Mur- Mur- Murdoch, <laughs> who is basically the first officer, I believe, uh, he is really the one who's in charge of getting people off the ship and onto yeah. the lifeboats. And it's an extreme panic of that what's happening because he's yeah. yelling at people, yelling at them to get back. And uh, one of the characters, and I believe it's Tommy O'Ryan, uh, is pushed by somebody... And Murdoch ends up shooting and killing him. Then, even though he wasn't trying to like push past him and yeah. get on the boat, and his guilt overwhelms him, and he just decides to kill himself what I mean in the this. moment. Like,
2: they're either. Bad people because they're horrible at their job, or because they're inept at what they're doing. But in the I, moment. I, I,
0: I'm saying I, I, I don't think that applies to that character. Like that's what I'm trying to say. If he like can't just because not shoot a gun at people. Well, but he is trying to do defend his position in a unwinnable situation. Like he is in a absolute panic, right. crazy situation. He's telling people to stay back, and someone gets pushed towards him, and his immediate reaction is stop people from getting past me, and he shoots them. Right. It's,
1: and- a, it's a classic story of. Of how of a, giving
2: a white person a gun. No,
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I w- I didn't want to say that, but if you're going to say that, that's fine. I'm not. I'll, I'll let you have that. Um, it's a classic case of like um the 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 Boston Massacre, where like yeah. like uh just one chain just like breaks this entire like like thing into chaos.
2: Yeah, I guess as someone who loves the story of the Titanic, and I don't mean any one particular story, but the actual just reading over things about the Titanic, one of the things I always read over and over again is how heroic the crew members are and not maybe every single crew member but here like I don't think a single crew member could be described as like just utterly heroic in the face of what was happening and there's just something weird about that for me like it's just that they're either bad at their job make horrible awful mistakes that they feel bad about that they have to shoot themselves for uh, or are like so catatonic that they decide that they're just going to walk away from it all and and it's not that I can't understand why anybody would do any of those things I can't understand why every single crew member does yeah. all of those things so. and another
0: thing that I think this film does a, a really <coughs> good job of, of showing and in its' pacing it's done really well too is it it goes really well of it being kind of slow and people don't really grasp the situation until it's too late yeah and then it goes from zero to sixty and it, it like because you, you go from the ship like slowly tipping up in the air to being totally just fucking chaos in a matter of probably like 20 minutes and it's just insane to watch these people running back and forth falling off the ship diving off and fucking having their legs hit the propellers all kinds of just chaos that's happening it just i feel like this film one part of it that i i will not back down is that it perfectly encapsulates what is happening at that moment and just seeing just the these this mass of people that are in a, in a situation that they cannot escape. Like, there is no escape from this situation at yeah. this point. This boat is going to go
2: down, and you are fucked. So. Yeah, and I guess for me also, it's 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 uh, the it's point of comparison, too, because I, James Cameron's not the first person to do that. So, yeah. um, which actually, I feel like the more I talk about this, the more I feel like I'm actually going to very hardly hard push for one episode where we talk about A Night to Remember and Titanic. I don't know okay. how we're going to spend that, but maybe sometime this summer we, we carve time because I think it would make for a fascinating uh, you know, case study as far as two different ways to handle because they are two different. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I prefer one, but uh, two completely different ways
1: to, uh, to show fact versus fiction. Put it on the board, man. All right. Anyway, Put it on the so board. I'm
0: done now. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Nick, for another <laughs> very lengthy Week in Review segment.
2: Hey, you know, you contributed to it. I
0: did. <laughs> all right, so uh, this is episode 50. We're very excited to, to be here, and we've made it 50 episodes in. And that's why I made it longer. <laughs> we look uh, very forward to the next 50 episodes, and hopefully many beyond that. So for mm-hmm. uh, everyone who's listened to...
2: Even if Tucson's not around for all of them. Oh, whatever, man.
0: Yeah, you really fumbled at the goal <gasps> line on that Kingsman episode, man. <laughs> whatever,
2: whatever. Yeah, this is number 49 for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but...
0: Yeah, you know, for any everyone who's listened and has you know uh, given us a chance and enjoyed listening to our episodes or not enjoyed listening or or anyone who's just you know, given us a listen over over time, thank you very much for um, you know listening to us. And as always, send any comments or opinions or wants for our show to uh, filmtankshow at gmail dot com. Thank you guys. <gasps> yes, sir. So the Coen Brothers uh, made a new film this year, and it was called Hail Caesar. I think they made it last year. Well, anyways, it was released in February of this year, uh, and the film is about a Hollywood fixer in the 1950s who works to keep the studio stars in line. That Hollywood fixer is Eddie Mannix, played by Josh Brolin, and the other players in this film, and there are quite a lot of them uh, who sort of show up every now and then, include George Clooney, Alden Reich. Uh, Ray, <laughs> Ray Fines, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand, Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill, and Allison Pill. Who was
1: the uh, narrator?
0: Uh, that by Michael, Michael Gambon? Yeah, okay. that's, that's what I thought it sounded like. Harry yeah. Potter. Yep. Oh, and also, too, I have to uh, mention that I, I don't know why, but I, I really liked his character a lot just because he was so <laughs> random and in the corner all the time in the communist meetings. And that was David Krumholtz, who was in this film, who I. I don't know why I liked him so much, but I I just loved his character. Is
1: that the guy with the mustache? He has a beard. I thought that was like a stealth cameo by uh, Oscar Isaac.
2: No, unfortunately (laughs) not. Damn. No, but a different uh, Lewin Davis person was in there. Uh, Alec Kurpofsky or whatever, Mm -hmm. very randomly shows up uh, briefly in the communist meeting uh, as the photographer who won't stop taking the picture. fucking
1: weirdo. He's great. He's from
2: Girls. That's his most prominent role. Uh, Ah,
1: bless me father for i have sinned how long since your last confession my son 27 hours it's really too often you're not that bad
0: here at Capitol pictures as you know millions of people look to us for information and uplift and yes entertainment and we're gonna give it to them and action an army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one
1: of the biggest stars in the
0: world, Baird Whitlock.
1: A truth we could see if we had, but... if we had... Ha, faith! Faith! Faith. Cut! Ah. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather
2: $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future.
0: Hello, Bert. Hello, Mr. Maddox. Lawrence, Obie, thank you all for coming. The studio needs your help. Bad
2: Whitlock has been kidnapped. This is bad. Bad for movie stars everywhere. She sees the perfect time on me. Let's spend 24 hours. But we're looking for him.
0: We don't want it in the gossip columns.
1: This is gonna cost the studio a lot of money.
0: And that's where you come in. I need some cash.
1: You must have very strong forearms. Is it hard squeezing it like that? It's part of the job, miss. I'd like to know what the hell is going on
2: here. 20 million readers want the truth, Eddie. Truth? Yes.
0: Eddie? Tell me no truth, only your life.
1: This is a drama, Mannix. A real drama.
2: Mr. Mannix, I know it sounds screwy, but someone's calling from the future. Good lord.
1: Wondering what's going on? Mm. Do you
0: So, Hail Caesar. Uh, I think we were all pretty interested in seeing this, as we all are Mm. fans of the Coen brothers. Yeah. (gasps) And this is uh, a a comedy. So, you know, torn from the same cloth as uh, Big Lebowski, Fargo to an extent, uh, Burn After Reading, other comedies
2: that... uh, It's more like Lebowski and Burn and Old Country. uh, Yeah. As far as, like, it's one of their their farces. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So... Toussaint, you started us off with Definitely. our Week in Reviews, so why don't you start us off here talking okay. about Hell Caesar.
1: Caesar. <laughs> so I am a very avid admirer of the Coen Brothers. I don't think that's going to be a, uh, a singular statement on this, on this podcast. I don't think it's going to be on this episode, but I, I really enjoy Big Lebowski. I really enjoy uh, Barton Fink, which I'm going to be talking about a lot for this particular episode for a very particular reason. Um, I haven't seen Miller's Crossing yet. I really want to. Um, yeah, I was like, I'm really a big fan of their film. So I was interested in like going into this. Um, one one thing that I, I really just want to start with is how – just approaching like the subject matter of this film in particular in that it's talking about a time like in 1946 that we commonly like describe as the golden era of Hollywood. When people, when people were pretty much creating the mythology of Hollywood as we know it now, there was – there was Joseph Breen, who was basically trying to like weed out any type of like communist like sympathizers within the studio system. We had the independents who are trying to like move in and like try to actually like have a, a role in in the actual like filmmaking process. We had actors who were pretty much creating their legacies on screen, like how they would be writ large. They would live beyond like death and stuff like that. And then we have characters like Eddie Mannix, who was a real life character. Not in this film. Like, it's it's ins- he's inspired by the real Eddie Mannix, who was the comptroller for MGM, who pretty much, like, is almost synonymous with this character, only in different ways. Like, when there was pregnancies, when there was illicit photos, when there were threats of murder, when there were abortions, when there were sex tapes. The first sex tapes, like, he was for lack of a better word, the sin eater of the stars. Like he's the one who had to take up their shit so that they could continue on with their careers. That was his job.
2: It's very much like a L.A. Confidential. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. That's which is a noir film, but it's very concerned with that Hollywood culture of Mm -hmm. paparazzi and that kind of during that era. Right. So at the whole beginning of this movie, I was getting flashbacks to that movie. Right. Like
1: I thought that uh, Josh Brolin was uh, terrific in this role for, for this character. Um, I thought that the narrator uh, in the role like Michael Michael Gambin, Gambon, like he was great for it, but there's something about this film in particular that just like irks me. And it's that there's this this very deliberate sheen of art- artificiality that is suffused throughout the entire film because it's it's a film that's named after a film that does not exist. Right? Like we were talking about like George Clooney's character who's starring in Hail Caesar the Capitol Pictures film, and then there's Hail Caesar, the film of Eddie Mannix helping to make Hail Caesar happen.
2: Yeah, I think uh, on Twitter, critic Mike D'Angelo pointed out pointed out something interesting, which mm-hmm. is that we don't ever get a title card for Hail Caesar, except for when we see it in the film, of uh, in the dailies of exactly. Hail Caesar, which yeah. also means that the official title of this movie should be the full title, which is Hail Caesar, exactly. I mean, whatever the subtitle it's
1: is. It's like one. the Something of Christ. Yeah,
2: or whatever, yeah. but like that should be the title if that's our reference point. And faith it.
1: is a very important thing uh, for this film, because Eddie Mannix, at least in In Josh Brolin's portrayal, is this guy who is just haunted by the most minuscule of sins, the most ivory of lies? Like he, he's like, oh man, I shouldn't have smoked that cigarette. Oh, he he just goes to to the church to, to goes to confession. Hour on hour, and his priest is just like man. Like, will you lay off it? Well, he's a very Christ-like figure mm-hmm. in, in,
2: in Hollywood. If Hollywood is a cult of a religion, he
1: has to take up the sins of yes, yeah. as
2: he goes around and putting out fires and whatnot.
1: Yeah, but going back to the artificiality of this film, I felt like it didn't. This like, Hail Caesar doesn't have the bite that I, I'm usually like looking for in a Coen Brothers film. Like, I don't have that. It doesn't have that that kind of idiosyncratic like peculiarity about it that I feel like that's what draws me to a Coen Brother film in general. This felt like something that was both trying to be a a scathing indictment of the Hollywood system of that time, but also a romanticization of it. And I felt like the latter was given more time than the first.
2: Yeah, I could see that. Although I don't necessarily think the movie is ever actually trying to be an indictment. I think... Hmm. Um, For me, as far as that... The that,
1: dispelling of that fantasy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. kind
2: of like showing that it's that, that, not... Like the romanticism is misplaced the same mm-hmm. way that, you know, these characters' faith are misplaced. Yeah. And, you know, if and Mannix would stop, <laughs> uh, you know... Putting his faith in the religion that he does and maybe he could sleep at night and that kind of thing because his job is not going to allow for that yeah uh you know like they cannot coexist side by side at least right um but i i don't know that i ever this for me always felt and i don't mean this as, in a pejorative sense but like a light truffle like mm-hmm. it, it it is just what it is and I think is having a ball and 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 I did as well. So I don't know that I ever, even though I think that's her satire, but I wouldn't say that there was like indicting, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Indictment is not really the right word. Like <laughs> the dispose, the dispelling of fantasy, I think is yeah. more better for that. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I will say about Hal Caesar, uh, I enjoyed watching it. I, I feel like it's a enjoyable film. Um, I, I think anyone who goes and sees in the theater will, will have a good time. Um, I there's just something about this film that that makes me uh sort of tentative or sort of not as I I for some reason I just can't like it more than I do and it's mm-hmm. I, I want to too I want to enjoy it but it just it's something about the the, the fact that the story just isn't really firing on all cylinders for me and it it's about just what it is and it it's just kind of there and I I just have to say, like I, I, I liked it, but I, I feel like it cannot be more than that for me. It doesn't because... do
1: anything playful enough. Like, no, you know. and,
0: and it's just seemed, and I
2: would that it were so simple.
1: Would that it were so simple?
0: But it, and I, I think another pretty large complaint for me is that uh, this falls under something that a lot of other films uh, in the last few years have done, which is. I felt like the best scenes were in the trailer, and I, I, I was kind of
2: disappointed by that. It's another yeah, one of those cases where, that's like... It's never a film's fault. Yeah. I mean, because it's... For me, I guess I would only complain if I thought this film was a comedy, like straight-up comedy, and mm-hmm. I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if this movie inhabits any genre, it might be... Well, it's I guess it's not one genre, and mm-hmm. we see that time and time again. Even you had to pick a genre More. as as it goes from the oh, the you know these the dailies of the western to the set of the musical to the uh, you know production of the mermaid movie and all that. Um, and I think that that is kind of indicative of the fact that this movie is not trying to be one thing; it mm-hmm. is going from one to another. And I think that also. Stems the same way for comedy, so I agree that they probably put the best joke in the trailer. But uh, a, I thought that that moment was actually funnier in the movie than it was in the trailer. So uh, because it, we get that a, that goes on for far longer uh, from start to finish, and and b, just after meeting uh, the the I forget his character's name, but Alden's. Uh, whatever his character, yeah. After meeting, like we 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 can already see that train wreck coming from a mile away when we're first introduced to him, and he does these weird somersaults around a tree, and you <laughs> know, like just these very high, you know, high wire, uh, western uh, clown rodeo antics uh, amidst a B picture western film that he's going to be called up to sub for this, uh, who's, uh for this very kind of. St- I wouldn't say snooty, but. Uh, Pride
1: and Prejudice era, like, drama. Yes.
2: Yeah. And uh, drawing room, uh, upper high society Down drama. Down the Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, like, just so even before we got to that even if we hadn't seen the trailer, we already know that that joke's coming, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I guess for me, that's why it didn't really bother me. Yeah. At... I
0: mean, it, it, like, that's the thing. Like, I feel like.
2: We did see this trailer 20 times. Yeah, too many times. Right. And they, they should have.
0: Maybe not played it quite as much, um, but if, or we need to see less movies. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't. Think, I don't think that's it. it. Just I enjoyed watching this. Like the the scene involving the uh, the priest, the rabbi, and Josh Brolin. Like, the, that
1: scene was great. The the what is it? The is this
0: depiction of Christ offensive? The focus mm-hmm. group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I just for some reason just can't get on board with everything in this film. Like I, there were some parts that I just and they're just kind of there. And I I guess that's what the film obviously is going for. But for me, I just really couldn't get as into it as I I wish I would have been able to. So yeah, I, I don't have that much to really say in my opening remarks about this film. There are parts of it. I really enjoyed. Uh, I loved Ray Fiennes, character. I love the wordplay of him saying it's Lorenz and then saying at the end of it, Oh, it's Lawrence, by the way. So you should say it. And then you find out his name is Lawrence. Lawrence right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, and, and there were other parts that I liked, like the fact that the, the these studios obsessed with controlling every single thing that the actors are doing. And then some of them are trying to become communists and they're angry about that. and, and that kind of thing, and the the fact that the name of their studio is Capital, and that kind of thing. So,
1: could I like go off of that for Capital Sh- Pictures? Sure, because that's sure. exactly what I'm talking about for Barton Think. Yeah. Like before uh, the podcast uh, started, like today, like for this episode. Sorry, um, I asked Nick like what the date of pearl harbor was and it was like somewhere around like 1941 yeah. and I, i'm the pearl harbor expert on this it, podcast. no it's like you your phone was charged that's why <laughs> okay and the bikini atoll uh atomic testing took place around time around like 1946 and the reason why i asked that is because barton Fink, the film starring uh john tuturo uh and uh john goodman like takes place on the eve of uh like Pearl Harbor and like this one takes place during a Bikini Atoll. And why am I mentioning that? Because the same studio that Barton Fink works for is Capital Pictures. So one thing that I was kind of um, disappointed by when I I made that connection, I was just like, I would really like to see – like an older Barton Fink just wandering some just just waddling somewhere in the background. It well was that like, was never gonna happen. I know, but uh, like yeah. it would it would have been so The Cohen cool.
2: brothers have always, I would say, um, reused Things, so to speak but never actually like quentin tarantino with big Kahuna burger and that kind of thing no not like, even that Cahuna. but i'm saying like explored the same theme they explored the same whatever because uh, like if you look at inside lewin davis it's like a celebration of folk music whereas old brother Were out thou was not a i wouldn't say indictment or anything like that but this very the flip opposite of that where it's an like, adaptation the birth of it yeah. of where it came from and uh and a more light you know, whatever. So if Barton Fink is the kind of serious counterpoint, then mm. Hail Caesar was always going to be this. And I think that they're joined by that, and I think that's more of an Easter egg than, yeah. than it like, that's, it's just the buck stops there. I, I, I never once saw because I put that together when I was watching, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, there's Capitol capital again. But yeah. uh, Barton Fink, the character, uh, if he inhabits the universe that he does in that movie, he cannot exist in this universe. That's a pretty
1: fucked universe. I don't, yeah. want, I don't want to live in Barton Fink's universe. Yeah. Um, but... Just touching on uh, old brother or Arthur that you were just mentioning, like that's actually like a a sort of modern adaptation of the Odyssey, like <gasps> yeah. Homer's Odyssey. And, so inside
2: yeah. Lewis Davis is, also has or bears resemblance to the Odyssey. There's even mm. a character named Ulysses, which awesome. is the cat yeah. uh, in that movie. So that's what I mean as far as they kind of they, some. Actually, the AV Club just posted an article. Uh, they make the t- same film twice. Yes, yeah. uh, and it's brilliant or yeah. whatever. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and I think they they've done it again. Yeah. Like, um, anyway, so were you going to say no, that was okay. just it. Yeah. So right. yeah, but really just to to finish off my
0: thoughts, I, I, had, I had a list of things that I liked about the film and I, I enjoyed watching it, but for some reason it just wasn't clicking on all cylinders for me. And I, um, I just don't think it ever will.
2: Yeah. So there we go. Well, I like this movie, I think, quite a bit more than you guys did. I, I'm not saying this is like my favorite Coen Brothers or anything like that, but um, I've always been wishy-washy on Coen Brothers comedy. I do not care for Raising Arizona one bit. Um, I could not finish Burn After Reading, but I'm, I'm willing to film. retry that one because I was just not in the mood that day, so I don't mind that or whatever. Uh, the, the Lady Killers, I think we everybody can agree, is not really a great piece of cinema. <laughs>
0: Do you mind if I sneak something in really quickly about Burn After Reading?
2: Sneak it in. Oh.
0: (laughs) I I think the thing I like so much about Burn After Reading is because its characters are so insanely over the top and committed to being that. And at the same time, uh, it's a film that doesn't really hold anything back as its damning of characters being stupid and at the same time uh, has a lot of very dirty jokes uh, and language throughout it, which this film obviously is a much cleaner film, um, and that's totally fine that it's a a different kind of film, but I I just like how committed uh, that film is to its characters and its narrative story, and I I just thought it was a much more interesting and funny film than this film ended up being. So, Mm -hmm. I will step back and let you continue
2: your thoughts on Hail Caesar. Okay. Um, Action. (laughs) Action. Yeah, I really like this movie, and I really wanted to catch it a second time before we talked about this movie today, but I was sick all weekend and the days leading up to this, so I wasn't able to venture out into public too much. Um, but I'm absolutely going to go see this in the theater again, because I, first of all, I've never not liked a Coen Brothers more the second time. Like, that's just never happened. The same thing has always happened with Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, and probably uh, Wes Anderson, and maybe one or two other directors, but there are. Very few people, and those are the ones that I just named, and the Coen brothers are probably at the top of that list as far as like the movies that will stay with me, and the next time I watch it, and the time after that, I will always get something more out of it. And I think what I love about this movie is that I almost like did my homework accidentally for this movie, because 2015 was the year I sat down and watched a lot of MGM Grand musicals uh, for the first time. And that included some uh, Gene Kelly sailor movies, so I was very, very primed uh, to love the, I just thought, fantastic musical production of No Dames. No Dames. The the song uh, sung by Channing Tatum and company. Uh, There is just so many allusions in that one scene to cinema history, from direct uh, references to singing in the rain, um, to... Uh, even I've seen a critic point out that the staircase is that showed up at the very end of the production is almost kind of a slight nod to Easter Parade, uh, a musical I love as well. Um, and so, so there's just so much history packed into that that I feel like I have to watch even more movies to kind of pa- unpack what's in the other scenes.
0: I like, too, about that scene is uh, kind of a, a comment, I think, of directors of that time who were obsessed with stupid things because... Uh there there's a comment about the placement of a handkerchief I believe at the end of that and that's yeah. his only comment of yep. guys that was great but you need to not put that on his
2: shoulder put it on the uh, the other place and stop doing that it's like really like Ooh, yeah. that was a good part fuck off <laughs> Well, that and also it was dehumanizing the person that it was because he didn't want him to be the focus uh-huh. of that scene. And he wanted only Shannon Tatum's character to not interact with him. So there's something else going on there, too. It's okay. not so much that he's yeah. focused on trivial details, but that these movies were made because of their stars and for that reason only. They are made uh, for every person. Yeah. 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 Um, although I would say that uh, who... Channing Tatum is playing is only Gene Kelly in resemblance when he's on but when he's off uh he couldn't be further from Gene Kelly because there's been a lot of reports of Gene Kelly being not a very nice person and Mm -hmm. like uh just like on the set whatever and so like when the camera's turned off and he's like hi Mr. Mannix and he's got that very boyish charm that does not quit now of course we find out well
0: that's not necessarily like that is him putting on an act because he's like a closeted communist right right, right. no 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 i know i'm just saying
2: as far as like even in whatever like it's just uh, i'm just saying he wasn't very easy to get along with uh and on the making of in the rain he made uh what's her name cry who was in that movie and uh i think it was fred astaire famously kind of came to her rescue when she Hmm. ran into him uh or something like that but anyway
0: can can i I ask you a question while we're on channing Tatum's character um, what were both of your guys' thoughts actually on the submarine scene? The, uh... Where oh. the submarine pops up, he jumps on, and actually, I actually think one of the coolest scenes where they throw him the money and he drops it in and yeah. kind of just brushes it off and leaves.
1: Um, um, bro, couldn't you have just, like, taken the dog and the money?
0: Yeah, so... <laughs> what the fuck? I feel like that scene just, like, just, it just stays for a little bit too long, and I obviously it's on purpose, and I just don't even know how to feel about that. Like, is is that supposed to be something way more than it was trying to be? Or I don't is it think just anything in this movie, okay.
2: and that's the thing. No, I'm just saying, for me, personally... It's almost don't...
1: magical. Like, how the fuck did you actually get a submarine that close to... <laughs> To, to, to like the United States shore.
2: Well, not magical, but it's it's like you said earlier, it's artificial because yeah. uh, even that scene, it's using a, a backdrop, you know, mm-hmm. that's like in a soundstage type thing, and yeah, yeah, and that's what was happening back then. And so, I guess to kind of start going into my general thoughts is that the, I love this movie because this is a movie about the era in which the movie you're watching would never have been made, um, a movie that would actually even bring up like the, the idea, like everything about this movie is so antithetical to the movies that we're being, made Pay no to
1: attention the... to the man behind the screen. <sighs> what? I don't, sorry. Just, okay. So, <laughs> so, um, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. I yeah. just,
2: i sorry. I just, sometimes I never know what you're going to say when <laughs> that happens. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, you know, what we're seeing, we, we have a huge sprawling cast. I mean, movies back then did not have that. You had one lead character, and we kind of have that with Eddie Mannix, but we don't even have that because this movie goes off with uh, with George Clooney's character. It goes off with uh, the, uh, Alden's character, you know. So this is not tethered to any one person in the same way it's not tethered to any one idea. Um, and for that, like, I just love that. I think what you said earlier is that it's romanticizing that era, mm-hmm. and I think it's definitely doing that, and yet it's also at the same time romanticizing, like, this is, you know, like, this... I, I don't even know how to r- articulate what I liked about this, but I, I like the dual message of, like, this was great, but this was not, like, a great thing as it was
1: happening. It's like, taking the piss out of the, the magic of making the <sighs> movies.
2: Right. It, it, it's almost like an argument for the idea that art was only made because one out of one every 100 movies just happen to be good, you know, like in that era, like that if these are on an assembly line, then yes, one of them is going to live up to an inspection and the other one, they're just there to make money. And A, that says like, look what's changed, nothing, because, you know, look at Marvel, our favorite punching bag these days, uh, and other studios that just do this exact kind of thing. Um, but they just have more money to throw at it these days,
0: well, I think the interesting thing about this film is that there are there is the studio, which is like the it's like God in this in this the studio decides all, and the studio is made a decision on me that I'm going to this, and there are a lot of decisions that I assume actually happened very similar to this now where they decided to cover up someone's birth yeah. um <laughs> the,
2: the, might I'll, even happen at a studio level, but it'll happen somewhere, somewhere. because that's right,
0: yeah. And uh the other thing, which is a character who it has no business being in a film uh the higher ups deciding uh spur of the moment that he's going to be in the film, and later that day he's shooting the first scene that he's going to be in the film right like I imagine that actually did happen that time where I feel like the difference between then and now is that you would never have like Leonardo DiCaprio all of a sudden being in a film and then starting it that very day yeah. but it's it's very showing of this time period, which was the studio owns all and they have all the rights and they own you and
2: you are going to do whatever the
0: fuck they want.
2: And not just that, but it also taps into, I think, something that you guys are both describing when you were giving your general thoughts, mm-hmm. which is the meaninglessness of it all. Like, yeah. You know, if, if we can substitute A for B, then why does A matter in the first place? If, if, you know, if George Clooney's character was the reason why they made this movie was to give him, because the, that's kind of how they used to bank their movies was, oh, so we're going to, we need a new movie for so-and-so, so let's, commission a writer to write this or whatever a, the birth of a Christ, sword and sandal responding. picture yeah. and that kind of thing and so if 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 that doesn't even matter at the end of the day then like then how the integrity of that just completely falls through and i think what you're saying alex about at least i think that's what you're hinting at or you said it is that that that's almost a parable for religion because when you really start to look closely at certain institutions of religion like Catholicism or other whatever. Like the minute you start to ask about, well, why does this whatever? I mean, they basically brush it off and mm. say, "Oh, well, that doesn't matter. It's just it matters. The only thing that matters is that you come to church every day. You yeah. so know, the only thing that matters is asses in the seats." And I just I kind of love this. Well, and yeah.
0: I, I think it's interesting what you're you're explaining. It is and. and We actually talked about this film, uh, obviously, on the Sundance episode before recording uh, this very episode, but that's the film uh, Love and Friendship by Wood Stillman. And I'm thinking of Kate Beckinsale's character of Lady Susan as she always has a reason for everything at, at every single turn. And all of a sudden, like, someone says something and she makes something up right on there, even if she's a pathological liar. Like, she's coming up with something almost immediately that sounds legit, and I feel like that's what the studio, the studio was was doing then. And what you're talking about, it's a comparison to religion, of coming up with some reason to spin any single news or event that would be into their favor, which is what the studio of Capitol is is doing throughout this entire film is protecting the program just like college football and college sporting teams do now yep. protect the studio because the studio is more important than all
1: yeah insulate us from from risk yeah and and pretty much accountability.
2: For sure. And I think the Cohen genuinely love movies from this era and movies that got made via the system. But I love is that like what they're essentially saying with this movie is that we weren't alive when this, well, or maybe
1: they well, I don't know how. I don't think so. No, they weren't
2: alive uh, when this was happening.
1: Um, they weren't cognizant of their, of them being alive. Right. Like time, if, yeah. if
2: they weren't alive during this, whatever, that that's not going to stop them from making a movie like that. And
1: I love that this is what their
2: movie would look like. Look like if they now not literally obviously because like I said earlier this would never movie get made. get made back then but if they're if they're gonna use that artificiality and how everything is meaningless like then they're gonna bring up I think some of their favorite themes which is uh, noir plots that go nowhere into uh, you know uh, this kind of nihilistic uh, end game and uh, the I would say even the um, that uh, even the way capital pictures is depicted is roughly similar to how uh i would say the uh the religion of judaism is kind of portrayed in um in a serious man when he has to visit the synagogue and talk to the uh the head rabbi and, and his answers are you know very cryptic and yet decisive and they make no sense to him and yet he has to follow it you know whatever um and and also, faith, I mean that's always been at the heart of a lot of their movies and whatnot and uh and I just yeah i I was a big fan of this, and I feel like there's a lot of people trying to read deeper meaning into it, and it's really not like this is them um, maybe having the most fun they've ever had in their career making a movie, and so for me, that's infectious and i i always i I just feel that when I'm watching it, so even when the movie's not the, having like the funniest moment or whatever, I'm just completely on board because i it's kind of like I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, you guys are, this is for you guys. And it's not because that means that then it's not for me or it's not for an audience, but like, you know, like, I'll, at this point they made so many movies and it's kind of, uh, this is just another one of them in the long line of their assembly line. And, uh, and as someone who loves movies from that era, personally, uh, it's just a blast to actually get to see the, uh, this movie go from, <laughs> From you know set to set, and uh, and I would probably like I would totally watch. Um, I'd probably rather watch uh, the entire Channing Tatum musical than than watch Hail Caesar. But because that's never gonna get made, and probably because nobody wants to watch those kind of movies these days, uh, this is what we get. And this is still for me pretty
1: fucking great. Hey man, Machete got made. Anything can happen.
2: Yeah, but Machete i is, is like ironic. But I feel like nobody would actually dare to create what mgm Grand was doing which were these unabashed musicals uh with the flimsiest plot like i'm not saying musicals can't get made or anything like that but they have to be either oscar worthy uh, like les mis or whatever or they have to have like a kind of i would say a broadway panache like what used to happen back then was the uh musicals were the thing and not just the thing but gene kelly Uh, used to like people like Gene Kelly used to direct their own musical uh, segments too so it's like you didn't just have to have a musical director you just had to have a film director and people like Gene Kelly would basically make up their own stuff so it was much more of a collaborative thing because it was such a welcoming environment for people who wanted to make musical everybody could contribute what they could to make it happen here nobody these days I think would want to make a movie like that uh, and put all that work into choreography and all that
0: and sort of fun music musicals i feel like in this sort of um old-timey feel are just not made and i mean if if we're going to see musicals we're going to see something like pitch perfect and glee and that kind of thing yeah we
2: either either have to a have a reason why they're singing which is stupid Mm -hmm. uh not always stupid but i'm just saying as far as like (laughs) that's the only musical that gets made these days uh which actually something right now is airing on television. I'm not going to talk about it, but Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I just started last night. with uh, Rachel Bloom, right? Yes, and I've already watched four episodes as of last night because it is fantastic. But there is one of the first few original pieces of musical, whether it's TV or movie, I've seen in recent years where it's just a musical. People are singing for no reason and and having a ball while doing it. And
0: uh, we don't get that
2: these days. um,
0: uh, For Hal Caesar, though, um, you know, Getting back to things that I, I I liked about it and things I, I didn't like about it, I, I will say that kind of trying to ex, you know, continue on and expand on what I was talking about of of not just being into what the film was doing, I felt like that what you're describing about the film not really mattering, like it, it doesn't really matter, like does the story is not pivotal to what what the the final result is, and it's just there as a as a film. Um, that maybe what is making me struggle to get involved with this film is that I can't latch on to really any one character throughout the entire film. Because although I'm enjoying certain people in certain scenes, uh, I just never really caught on to anybody who I was interested in seeing again. Like when we see Scarlett Johansson's character for the one time, I could really care less. And then she only shows up one other time. So whatever. I like Refines his character of Lawrence Lorenz. He has his one scene and he never shows up again. And I get that's what the film is trying to be, but for me, like for things I was liking or not liking, like we don't really get much involvement other than the scene in which they are involved and then it's over and we continue on with the rest of the film. And I, I guess I just had a hard
2: time really getting into it. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, it's uh, for me. I, I don't think they're the character you're supposed to latch on to because, and 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 I I understand what right, they were going for, and yeah. I understand
0: what they were doing, but just for me personally, yeah. it, uh, it was really hard for me to really enjoy the film as it progressed because I wasn't really <laughs> into
2: every single thing it was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, this movie is about movies. Like yeah. movies are the characters, and mm-hmm. that's why I could latch on to like the the productions of you know that No Dames or just seeing the um, uh, the mermaid movie and her mermaid ass—that's what she called it. Her mermaid ass, um, or even you know uh, Alden's uh, western, or even that one great western. Well, it's his western, but when when we're seeing it at the premiere, the guy it, jumping in the uh, yeah.
0: jumping in after the uh, after the moon, just
2: pure B western. I mean, like that was not. Like that was the furthest thing from things like you know John Ford westerns, which were actual pieces of art, uh, but just these, yeah, that all that slapstick that was just great. Um, but I, and I think that's the thing is that that the Coen brothers never made has made a movie that has respected and I think celebrated the idea of a movie more than this, but in Coen Brothers fashion because they're never going to pretend that anything is perfect and that anything is invaluable and uh, and, and how it shows you how the sausage gets made which is like how can you worship and that's somebody like me like I do worship movies in a way I mean mm-hmm. cause they, they are my everything as far as I love movies and I, I want to continue to see them made and I and some of my favorite movies were come came out of this era you know singing in the rain and whatnot and yet it would probably shock me if I maybe saw behind the scenes productions of and saw directors like, yeah, like just saying, oh, well, we can just shoot around the lead actor because he's <laughs> sick today. You know, like, and I can see oh, my how, face. yeah, in, in the age of Twitter and social media and all that, and we can see when somebody didn't show up for work <laughs> and how that impacts our thought on a movie before we've even seen it, even if we like to think it doesn't, you know, that this, this is such a weird era where we're not made privy to this. So, from what we see, we think like this was the golden age, and yet, we we see that this was anything but golden
1: our um, unfiltered appetite for instantaneous information where we pick over the minutiae of plot details we try, we we tell ourselves not to spoil things publications such as and i follow these publications such as slash film or um, uh, or, or like twitch film or whatever they go through like the the minute by minute uh, Like, rumors and speculation and and, and behind-the-scenes photos that we're not supposed to see of everything. And we dissect it before we even go into it. And just like, how can we ever go into a film whole anymore? Like, they
2: literally – I don't know if it's one of those two, but I swear it is. But I guess I won't call out one of those two. Mm -hmm. But – it's those sites or sites like those that actually even also report as if they're news on script leaks. I mean, things that we're not supposed to see. I mean, you know, it's one thing you have to report on every minutia of like public release stuff, like Marvel's stupid little—do uh, you want thirty-seven that? characters will return for the Infinity Wars? But Fuck that. When you when when you have actual legit news sources that I respect, usually uh, having articles based around. Listen, we're not going to spoil it in our article, but if you follow this link, you can find out what the new script for Force Awakens was. Be- you know, seven months before, which turned out to be false. So that just shows you how fucking stupid it all is. Do you
1: want the Hateful Eight to get canceled? Because that's how you get the Hateful Eight canceled.
2: Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally understand why somebody. Wouldn't be feeling this movie, you know, especially compared to some of the other stuff that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like if it feels like it, ho- it has a hollow center, it's it, it's by design, and which is such a cop out to say, but at least that's that's why I like it, at least. Yeah. Um, uh, but th- it's just such a for me a fun time that like it, if it like. <laughs> if it wasn't for me so enjoyable to watch and funny, like I, I, you know, I said it earlier that it wasn't quite a comedy, but it certainly is and scenes. And, um, I do think some of their humor also gets better on repeated viewings, like not just their drama or their meaning, but like just affectations become funnier. Yeah, uh,
0: and Like the discussion of what the final line of the film should be. And then that's the one that George Clooney fumbles over at the end. Like yeah. that's something that I actually somehow picked up on throughout the film. And it seems like something that you'd pick up on a repeat viewing but it's little script details like that and, and little small things that are in the film that yeah, are, are really enjoyable, but yeah. at the end of the day, still just, I still just, just did not jump off the page more than
2: I would like, have liked to And I'm to. just curious, just because I'm just curious as far as when, where people come from, have either of you seen, I would say, a good number of films from this era? Like, I'm just as far as, like is that maybe the only thing that's inciting my love?
1: Like... Going. Like the
2: MGM Grand Musicals, these B-Westerns, you know, like b- like these films that you're seeing in these movies, not Francis Coppola productions like yeah. or anything like that or I, John Ford Westerns. or
0: I, I've seen, I would say, a limited selection of them. Like I've seen maybe <coughs> one or two, but not a I lot. Was just,
2: just only because like when I was watching like the No Dames musical number, I'm like, oh, that that's literally straight. Like, that moment is from, you know, Singing in the Rain or even, um, you know, just... The No Dames production is like you could take that scene and put it into Anchors Away or On the Town. Both are Gene Kelly sailor movies because he liked to make the same movie more than once because that's what they did back then.
1: Yeah. The uh, assembly line. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, so it's just like the the idea that I could play like where did this come from, you know, was also part of what I, I
1: Well, enjoyed. I was going to say
0: there's no way that that didn't impact your enjoyment yeah. of the film because I think – you liking those films of that time and you liking Coen brothers films make this a match made in
2: heaven for you yeah. because it's just right up your alley yeah. and in a way it feels like I'm like going to school with the Coens because I feel like they know because they do a million times more than me about cinema and mm-hmm. so like if, if this is a somewhat love letter to cinema in a way like i it, and it's written by the Coens and like i'm going to study it for years to come because i just love it
1: i think that like a lot of those those scenes of like the filming of like these different sort of like either parodies or homages to like <laughs> other like MGM classic films. They were pretty
2: much homages. Like, like
1: they're they're they're. I'm just they're, saying, like none yeah. of them
2: like that. No dames. Yeah,
1: that's a real that's a real thing. I'm just
2: saying, you know, that's a original song yeah. uh, that could fit well at home with exactly. the homoeroticism that was always present <laughs> in uh, a lot of Gene Kelly movies, but also the um, Gene Kelly sailor movies. Just, can can yeah. I say
0: to that? Um, you're talking about the homo erratus of that scene, which is well evident throughout. But when Channing Tatum is like physically stuck behind the two guys and trying to get through, oh yeah. man, yeah. that was
2: definitely like the 1% added as far as like <laughs> yeah. it's always been this way. Cut the, out. Let's just add a little magic mic to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was great.
1: But um, go, going back to that, I think that um, the film, those <laughs> those scenes are appreciable both to somebody like like you Nick who's already seen like all these films and someone like me who I can honestly say that I haven't seen like maybe an entirety of these films but like going back to like my whole point about like the mythology of of golden age hollywood it's like I feel like I've already seen the 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 skeleton, the prototype of these films echoed either through through parody or homage through countless other films like I already am well schooled in the visual like iconography of this time that like I feel like it it still works for me on that level, you know even though I'm not able to like directly like link up the the scene to its source yeah so to no, speak. and i think when
2: you brought up earlier barton fink mm-hmm. what well, something that this reminded me of is that it is in a way is tarantino actually in the way that that you know like how in the tarantino universe uh what is it fox force five fox
1: force five is
2: possibly kill bill like you know like that that's like Kill Bill, that movie is the show that Uma Thurman's character in uh, Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. may or may not have auditioned for. Uh, He's already you
1: know, like, like like explicated that like, like, that like there is. there are two at least like universes where there's a movie universe yep. and then there's the real world that actually watches those movies. Yes, and
2: this right here, this feels like I wouldn't say that this is the movie that uh, Barton Fink himself uh, would exist in his universe, whatever. But like all the movies that like. We go from set to set to all feel like scripts that Barton would have been like asked to write or something Mm -hmm. and he would have passed on because that was kind of his struggle, so to speak, as far as trying to write his own original story in a man-made system.
1: I could totally see Barton being one of the communists in this film just because – not because he necessarily aligns with that ideology but just to take the piss out of like the studio system because he fucking hates them so much.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, that whole communist meeting, and that's the thing we haven't even talked about George Clooney at all, really, or the I would say the huge presence of communism and mm-hmm. uh, that whole meeting. I I just I love that scene. I uh, there's something that's kind of hilarious about the idea that the, I wouldn't say that they're the villains of the piece, but mm-hmm. that they come off the way they do because if any like if the Coen brothers are anybody in the movie, they're them uh because I think for me they've always been like I would say more known for their script writings than their directing because yeah. they're fantastic directors but like w- nobody else is writing these kind of movies. Yeah. Uh so I, there's just something kind of I would say hilarious about that he makes his writers like in in this ho- world of Hollywood uh as people who are going, yeah, to...
1: Disgruntled to, and trying to, yeah. like, riot. But yeah, it's to, weird, it's to weird to because
0: they are disgruntled and they are a part of this communist group, but at the same time, they're almost like cult followers, which oh, is yeah. very, very interesting because they really don't believe in this, but just like George Clooney, <laughs> after eight hours there, is totally blindly allegiant to this mm-hmm. to this crew, and it's uh, it's really something. Yeah, I, I will say that, too, about the, the Cohens is that... I feel like, and that is part of this film, as we've already mentioned a couple times, is that it, you know the characters aren't really the most important. The character development is not the most important part of this film at all. But I feel like that's something, is they write such terrific characters, whether it be Lewin uh, or The Dude or Shigar or whoever. Um, they have so many great characters throughout their entire film history. And in this film, like I really don't feel like there is one great character that i can say that i would go back and think man that was that was who i'm going to always remember from this film really other than lawrence Lorenz, who is a small well minor part of this film. lawrence Lorenz.
2: that's for me one of the strengths of this movie because okay. i like nobody does stand out because this feels like a movie that like everybody's a coen brothers character like there's so many movies like lewin davis where it always feels like a Coen-esque character will pop up at a certain point that's more Coen-esque than the others. And here they have populated the entire movie of a variation of a character they've already done, whether it's Eddie Mannix and his battle of faith, like in A Serious Man. uh, You've got, um, you know, even George Clooney is kind of being very similar to his character in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because he's the dim-witted follower. Well, in Oh Brother, I guess he's the leader more than a. But as far as that that dim-wittedness, whatever, uh, I just feel like every character in this movie is so co that that's why they don't stand out, and now that could be a problem as far as, like, it's a battle of, you know not standing out but that like i just feel like they just made an entire roster of like classic cohen s characters. now they don't have a lot of screen time so i guess the impression that they make will certainly vary from person to person but uh you know unless we're talking like jonah hill who like people who did the real mvp (laughs) well like who i omit like I would admit like don't make that much of an impression because they're not really bending over backward to serve the Coens at what they're doing Mm -hmm. although I think he's funny because I actually laughed every time at the trailer and in the movie at his it's part of the job Mm ma'am uh (laughs) (laughs) um but that was more him being Jonah Hill than it yeah. was him in a Cohen brothers movie or the
1: projectionist who got her scarf caught into the uh, actual that, movie. Was great. that was that was yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. That was fantastic
2: which also just reminded me of like the horror machinery like Fargo's wood chipper you know like Ooh. yeah like I just I feel that's what I mean like this is they they took every ingredient they wanted from every film that they've ever made threw it into this film, and then disguised it as an era they couldn't possibly have recreated. Mm-hmm. Or not recreated, but created in. And yeah. So that's why it all looks so foreign, and yet it all feels so familiar. And I, So that's why I, I can understand someone's not digging it, uh, but it's, uh, it's just such a wonderful culmination of and everything they do well. I would say, if, if
0: I had to guess, the person that they've sort of collaborated with the most who shows up in that scene is Francis McDormand. Uh, We've got the the great of her scarf getting tucked in and her when she gets it pulled out and starts over again and just kind of tugs it a little bit. It goes, oh man, that's great. <laughs> that it's such a little small scene that I I I like so many of those small scenes, but the the sum of it just didn't put together a great film for me, just a, a good film. So
1: yeah. You
0: guys want to go to ratings? Uh yeah, sure. Okay. Go ahead, Tucson. Why don't you start us off?
1: Okay, just to kind of sum it up, um, like we've already kind of like touched on this before but it's like eddie mannix's story in this film is pretty much parallel to that of george clooney's like fictitious character in the film hell caesar and that it's like a, a journey of his faith in trying to clarify like what he believes in and ultimately he decides to stay within the cloistered allure of hollywood because that is the world that he knows and that's the world that he has control of and he wants to just like continue to preserve it um just you know kind of a an, an uplifting, if if kind of conflicting. But uh, like
2: the devil you know. The devil you know, you know versus like, the
1: devil you don't. Like yeah. you can go – you can work here or you can work at Lockheed Martin. And it's just like uh, I don't know how to, how to really like parse through that. And it's like the whole like narrator thing with basically Eddie like standing in front of like these – like all these dramatic scenes with Eddie taking place – along the backstage of this roman epic that does not exist but it sort of like plays into like how we frame his own personal struggle and going off that i thought was simultaneously very interesting but also kind of like harkens that artificiality that i feel like creates a out of body like what's the opposite of the suspension of disbelief it's like the 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 repulsion of 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 disbelief, I guess, whatever. Um, for my rating, I'd give it a three out of five. I thought that it was a good film, but like, there's just some, some parts that just kind of crawl under my skin I just can't really make peace with, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I also
0: gave this a three out of five. I feel like I was probably um, unfairly balanced towards giving my negative feelings about the film during the actual review, uh, but I think that's just because I did have higher amounts of criticism for this film because I do high hold the Coen brothers to a higher esteem when I'm talking about films. Uh, I, I watch them and expect more from their films in terms of if I was comparing them to a first time director, I would probably give a first time director a, a bigger pass on things than I do them for some reason, which I, I do with other directors, which isn't fair, but it's my opinion. So whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I really enjoy this film and I, I'll enjoy watching it again and I think there's a chance I may push it up half star maybe but I don't think I'll ever full out love this film just because of the reasons I've laid out of, is that for some reason the entire sum of the parts never really connects with me and really gives me more than just enjoyment from scene to scene. I I never really connected with the story whether it be about nothing whether it be about... Uh, the the struggle of the artist whether it be about a closeted story about religion throughout um, I I just enjoyed watching it but it's nothing more than that for me I, it's a good film and I'll just say I'll watch it again and probably enjoy it again but again it's a three out of five for me for Hal Caesar
1: well put yeah thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh,
2: yeah I I really really liked this film a lot and I can't wait to see it again I think it might even go up in my estimation Um, this for me and I think what you just said is something I actually agree with which is that you expect more from the Coens and I agree with that because I expected more as well and yet there's almost something selfish about that mentality that like why can't they make a film like this uh, you know and that's doing exactly what it wants to do uh, and I think you know that we get too hung up on sometimes on the question of to what end when the filmmaking and for me the performances and everything in this movie is so good. So um, so that's why I, I'm a fan of it. Uh, I, I love this era, and I love any movie. I love movies about movies. I mean, that's always a big thing for me. Um, and, yeah, I, I can't wait to re- revisit it. Uh, this is definitely a 4 out of 5 for me. And it's like, there it's not as good as my favorite coen brothers movies but a lot of movies aren't Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's like it doesn't necessarily bother me that it doesn't reach those heights because it still reaches heights that no other movie would not even heights but it still does things that no other filmmakers are remotely interested in which is a shame because this is for me fascinating stuff and the marriage between this artificiality like we've all said and this meaninglessness uh of that era, so to speak, uh with these extremely i would say complex ideas uh uh in 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 a way and fashion that only the Cohen brothers are mindful of uh was just right up my alley, so yeah, that's four out of five for me. Right on. Well, excellent. Yeah, I I don't really think
0: <laughs> even though I think we gave some valid criticisms, I think we gave overall we we enjoyed watching this film, and I think most people, whenever they catch it, whether it be in the theater or uh, on video, will actually enjoy watching this film. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's just a good film. Yeah. So. Um, moving on for past our first 50 episodes and on to episode 51 coming up next week, continuing our February favorites. We move on to Toussaint, and I don't know if it's necessarily your favorite, like, overall for sure favorite film, but definitely the film that you – Um, go back to time and time again when we ask you what's your favorite film and it's always one that's in the discussion which is the 1997 uh, science fiction film Gattaca.
1: Yeah, that's a film that is very, very close to my heart and I cannot wait to lay bare my love for that film like next week. It's going to be awesome.
2: I'll be right there with you. It's been in my top 100 list for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you want to hear
0: all of our opinions on it and uh our discussion oh, about it next week what's that? you're
2: you're going to be here too in, in fact i am
0: <laughs> i was just going to just going to sit back and just let you guys talk about it and he not... doesn't even go here wow not even supposed to be here today <laughs> um yeah. we're you can hear our opinions on uh next week's episode of Film Tank episode 51 if you have any opinions, uh, as always, you can feel free to send them towards... Any opinions on Trump, on Popsicles. Oh, I was um... going to say on, on films or anything we've talked about on the episode, but <laughs> thanks for letting me get there. Uh, any opinions on, on our show or future episodes or on Hail Caesar or Gattaca or any film, really, you can send them on to FilmTankShow.com or FilmTankShow at com. pardon me. You can find all of our episodes on FilmTankShow.com or on iTunes or... S- for yeah, now, it's there. <laughs> kind of, it works. Every now and then, it does. And also, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So, from Nick Cheney to San and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. Eddie, Eddie. <laughs>